0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 173, Forward Atlanta. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So I am about one month into my new job and while I absolutely love it, it has been all consuming, like not, A minute in the day to just even basically go on social media. So, I have when I get home, I'm exhausted. I'm also trying to parent and do all the other stuff I'm supposed to do. I tried my very best to get an episode, a new episode for this week, and I was so close, it's not in the cards. So, I'm gonna re release a mini that I did all the way back in the fall of 2020 about Forward Atlanta. And honestly, This should be done again in the future with more detail. It's one of the most important things in Atlanta's history. It was a multi-million dollar marketing campaign launched by the city in the 1920s, and it still influences us today in 2022. So I hope by the end of this very short episode, you can understand how influential this campaign was, how it ties into the reason Atlanta is so quick to forget, how we like to suppress our past, and how we're still in the big business of selling our city to outside industries. When Atlanta was born in 1847, Savannah was the oldest and most prominent city in Georgia. With access to a waterway, it was the center of trades and goods and commerce, and Atlanta had a tiny little bit of a shoulder chip about its inability to compete. Early businessmen in our city created the Board of Trade, which went inactive during the Civil War, but was reorganized in 1866. The small group of men met in George Jack's confectionery on Whitehall Street, and they adopted a constitution And the board worked to protect Atlanta's business interests and businessmen. So they did things like fight against unfair railroad tariffs or, you know, just generally tried to sell the city. By 1871, the group was reorganized as the Chamber of Commerce and business began booming. The committee could not keep up from all the inquiries from businesses in the 1870s and the 1880s. The city even created promotional materials to literally sell Atlanta. And the Committee on Manufacturing and Statistics actually lambasted city council for not providing them with enough funds to advertise. They did um, a book called the Guide to Atlanta for people or companies uh, that were inquiring. And so they had other little pamphlets or handbooks that they could mail out. In 1903 alone, they sent 15,000 of these handbooks across the country. Atlanta is no stranger to boosterism, um, as we see this with the 1881 and 1887 expositions and the grand 1895 Cotton States and International Exposition. These were elaborate fairs designed to sell Atlanta as a manufacturing hub, and the industries that we are trying to attract changed as the decades changed. In 1891, an editorial in the newspaper called for, quote, conservative, peace-disposed, earnest well-wishers of Atlanta prosperity, to turn their attention to the matter of agreeing upon a ticket on which all could unite for Atlanta's good, end quote. The whole concept of boosting a town or city dates all the way back to the 1880s, but it becomes really popularized in the United States in the 1920s. There's two Sinclair Lewis novels, uh, Babbitt and Main Street, that are all about boosterism. Even in 1916, you can see the Constitution is complaining that Birmingham, Alabama, just did xyz like oh they just passed a bond issue and they're doing new schools and they have an electric plant and they have an auditorium and you know we're not keeping up but Atlanta needs to be better the Roaring Twenties were exciting times. Women got the right to vote. Uh, we had radio and the population in Atlanta is booming. Um, this is on the heels of World War I, the end of the Spanish flu. So by 1920, Americans are ready to celebrate life, freedom and prosperity. And the Chamber of Commerce begins publishing something called the City Builder, which was like a magazine. In the 1923 edition, they print a retort to New England mill owners. So the, the Northerners were claiming that they had the best workforce. And Atlanta's like, uh, your mills are forced to operate uh, largely with unruly, indifferent, ignorant foreign labor. Down here, we have an ample supply of native white labor And it's been, quote, demonstrated that the Negro can be quickly trained for certain of the less important jobs, end quote. Again, this is a very anti-Nativist decade across the country, so what the South is saying is like, hey, we don't really have unions, Uh, we have white people, and oh, if you need it, we have black people that can be easily trained. The chamber spokesman says that the South has the, quote, purest American white population of any section of the country, end quote, and that Georgia had cities with only 3% of foreign-born population. He also ends with, quote, the Southern white man is the real American of today, end quote. Between 1925 and 1929, the official Forward Atlanta campaign kicks off, and so the city enacts a $1 million program to sell the city. Atlanta could be the home for your manufacturing operation. You know, down South, we have a great labor force, low taxes, and guess what? All of those old Civil War Southern stereotypes, those are not Atlanta. The first chairman of the Forward Atlanta campaign was Ivan Allen Sr., future father of Mayor Ivan Allen Jr., who would actually do Forward Atlanta stuff in the 60s, but getting a little ahead of myself. Um, As part of the Forward Atlanta campaign, a bond issue passed in 1925 to build a new city hall. The story of city hall is really fascinating and probably try to do it in another mini episode or maybe a regular episode. It didn't actually get built until 1929. It didn't get occupied until 1930, but it is part of Forward Atlanta and it's still downtown today. Leaders start to have a real interest in schools. Um, They understand that the start or they understand that a good school system will be attractive to drawing workers to the city. Um, So the principal of Boys High said that since Atlanta has Emory and Tech, Agnes Scott and Oglethorpe, kids down here don't have to go to those northern schools like Harvard, Princeton or Yale. Just one year into the campaign, the city touts 169 firms or companies that have moved to Atlanta. And at the end of the initial run, the chamber shared that 762 companies moved to Atlanta because of this campaign. It had created 17,000 jobs and added $29 million to the local economy. Atlanta was truly the gate city of the South. What lots of people do not realize is that Forward Atlanta has had several campaigns, with the latest ending in 2012. During the reign of Mayor Ivan Allen, Forward Atlanta helped land the Braves, helped establish a public transit plan that would eventually become MARTA. Um, Other campaigns promoted Atlanta to international markets. It's how we won the 1996 Summer Olympics bid, the NCAA final, and even the Super Bowl. So there you have it, the story of Forward Atlanta. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or review and you can visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.